Section 12 of Fairy Prince and Other Stories by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nan Dodge. The Little Dog Who Couldn't Sleep, Part 2. I asked the grocer, he said. It was a, a great liberty, said the lady. Was it, said our Uncle Peter? He didn't seem as sorry as you'd have expected. The lady looked at Carol. The lady looked at me. How many children have you, she said. None of my own, said our Uncle Peter, but three of my brother Philip's. Carol and Ruthie, as here observed, and Rosalie, at eighteen, who is at present in Cuba engaging herself to be married. Oh, said the lady. I am in short, said our Uncle Peter, that object of romance and pity, popularly known as a bachelor uncle. Oh, said the lady, she seemed more relieved than you'd have supposed. But in my own case, of course, said our Uncle Peter. In the very midst of his own case, he stopped right off short to look all around the room again as though he was counting how heavy the toys were and how heavy the money was that had bought the toys. All the twinkle came back to his eyes. But in my own case, he said, I've always known ahead, of course, for a very long time, that I was going to have em. Learn to sit lightly on the idea. Rebalance my prejudices. Readjust my... Have what? gasped the lady. Nephews and nieces, said our Uncle Peter. Oh, said the lady. Had their names all selected, I mean, explained our Uncle Peter. Their virtues, their vices, their avocations all decided upon. Ruthie, of course, might have done with less freckles. And Carol here doesn't quite come up to specifications yet concerning muscle and brawn, and it was never my original intention, of course, that any young whippersnapper niece of mine should engage herself to the first boy she fell in love with. But taken all in all, all in all, I say, I think, frowned the lady, you are perfectly absurd. The word absurd didn't seem to be at all the word she meant to say. She tried to bite it back, but got it all mixed up with a little giggle. She bit the giggle instead. It twisted her mouth like a bitter taste. Our Uncle Peter looked very sympathetic. You ought to get away somewhere on a journey, he said. There's nothing like it as a tonic for the mind, even if it's a place you don't like very much. It clarifies the vision so, dissipates all one's minor worries. Minor worries, said the lady. Travel, yes, that's the thing, said our Uncle Peter, quite positively. All in a minute he seemed to rustle with timetables and maps and smell of cinders and railroad tickets. Now there's Bermuda, for instance, he suggested. Just a month of blue waters and white sand would put the roses back in your cheeks. And Dicky, impossible, said the lady. Or if Bermuda's too far, insisted our Uncle Peter. What about Atlantic City? Think how Dicky would enjoy romping on the boardwalk, while you followed more sedately, of course, in a luxurious wheelchair. The most diverting place in the world. Yes, quite surely you must go to Atlantic City. The lady made a little gasp as though her patience was bursted. You don't seem to understand, she said. I tell you, it's quite impossible. Why, said our Uncle Peter. He said it sharply like a teacher. It had to be answered. The lady looked up. 
She looked down. She looked sideways. She wrung her hands in her lap. Her face got sort of white. It isn't very kind of you, she said, to force me so to a confession of poverty. Poverty, laughed our Uncle Peter. He looked around at the furniture, at the toys, at the pictures. It was at most everything that he looked around. He seemed to be very cheerful about it. The lady didn't like his cheerfulness. Oh, I've always had a little for myself, she explained. Enough for one person to live very simply on. But now, with this strange little boy on my hands, I, I intend to go to work. Go to work, said our Uncle Peter. Work? He said it with a sort of a hoot. Work? Work? Why, what in the world could you do? I can crochet, said the lady proudly, and embroider. I can mend, I can play the piano, and really, you know, I can make the most beautiful pies. Apple pies, said our Uncle Peter. Apple pies, said the lady. Like a handful of black tissue paper, she crumpled up suddenly in her chair. Her shoulder shook and shook. The sound she made was like a sob going down and a laugh coming up. I'm not crying, she said, because it's so hard, but because the idea is so funny. Funny, said our Uncle Peter. It's preposterous. It's grotesque. It's, it's fantastic. He began to walk very fast from the bookcase to the window and from the window back to the bookcase again. It wasn't till he'd stubbed his toe twice on a toy Ferris wheel that the twinkle came back to his eyes. Carol, he said, Ruthie, in consideration of the reduced circumstances in which this very pleasant lady finds herself, don't you think that you could afford to offer her a reduced price on the dog, your original profit on the deal being, as noted, $49.50? The lady jumped to her feet. Oh, no, 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 she said, not for a moment. Fifty dollars is what I offered, and fifty dollars it shall be. All dogs, I'm sure, are worth fifty dollars, especially if they don't sleep. Why, all the other dogs that people brought me did nothing except sleep. On my sofas, in my chairs, under my tables. Night or day you couldn't drop even so much as a handkerchief on the floor. That one or the other of them didn't camp right down and go to sleep on it. Oh, no, 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 protested the lady. Whatever my faults, a bargain is a bargain, and... Whatever your faults, my dear madam, said our Uncle Peter, they are essentially feminine, and therefore enchanting. It is only when ladies ape the faults of men that men resent the same. Your extravagant indulgency, he bowed towards the toys, your absolute innocence of all business guile. He bowed towards Tiger Lily, nerves strung so exquisitely that the slightest, the slightest, the lady shivered her clothes like a black frost. It was advice that I was looking for, not compliments, she said. Oh, ho, said Uncle Peter, I'm infinitely more adept with advice than I am with compliments. The lady looked a little bit surprised. She frowned. It's my little boy that I want advice about, she said. What is the best thing I can do for him? Our Uncle Peter looked at the ceiling. He looked at the rug. He looked at the pictures on the wall, but it seemed to satisfy him most to look at the lady's face. Um, he said, 
Um, this isn't an easy question to answer unless you're willing first to answer a question of mine. Ask any question you want to, said the lady. Um, said our Uncle Peter all over again. Um, um, uh, it takes a great deal of patience, said our Uncle Peter, to bring up a little boy. Unless every time he's naughty you can say to yourself, Well, even so, think what a good man his father grew to be. Or every time he's good, you're fair enough to admit that even his naughty father was once as nice as this. All the twinkle went suddenly out of our Uncle Peter's eyes. It left them looking narrow. He made a quick glance at Carol. He made a quick glance at me. He seemed very pleased that we were so busy looking at a map of Bermuda. He stepped a little nearer to the lady. His voice sounded funny. Were you... Were you very fond of the little boy's father, he said. The lady's face went blazing like a flame out of her black clothes. It was like a white flame that it went blazing. Her eyes looked screaming. How dare you, she said. You have no business. What if I was? What if I wasn't? All the scream in her eyes fell down her throat into a whisper. Suppose, suppose I wasn't, she whispered. Then indeed I can give you advice, said our Uncle Peter. The lady reached out a hand to the bookcase to make herself more steady. What, what is it, she said. Our Uncle Peter looked funnier and funnier. It wasn't like Christmas that he looked, nor Fourth of July, nor even like when we've got the mumps or the measles. It was like Easter Sunday that he looked. There was no twinkle in it, nor any smoke, nor even paper dolls but just shiningness. His voice was all shiningness, too. If it hadn't been, you never could have heard it, cause he made his words so little. It's almost a year now, he said, since our eyes first met. You've tried your best to hide from me, but you couldn't do it. Fate had other ideas in mind. A chance encounter on the street, that day on the ferry boat, your funny little dog advertisement in the paper. Quite suddenly our Uncle Peter straightened up like a soldier and spoke right out loud again. About your little boy, he said, my advice about your little boy, it being indeed so well-nigh impossible, madam, for a woman to bring up a little boy very successfully unless she did love his father, my advice to you is that without the slightest unnecessary delay you proceed to get him a father whom you could love. Whereupon, as people always say in books, our Uncle Peter turned upon his heel and started for the door. The lady swooned into her chair. Our Uncle Peter had to get a glass of water to unswoon her. I ran for a fan. It bursted my garter. When our Uncle Peter tried to mend it, he swore instead. The lady came out of her swoon without an instant's hesitation. Here, at least, she said, is something that I know enough to do. Her mouth was full of scorn and pins. It was with pins that she knew enough to do it. Our Uncle Peter looked very humble. The lady patted my knees. Little girls are so much easier to manage than little boys, she said. I don't seem to understand little boys. Nor big boys either, said our Uncle Peter. He said it with gruffness. It sounded cross. Perhaps I don't want to understand them, said the lady. 
Our Uncle Peter's cheeks got sort of red. "'Suit yourself, my dear madam,' he said, and started for the door. He picked up my hat and put it on Carol's head. Carol's head looked pretty astonished. He took Carol's cap and put it on my head. He handed us our coats upside down. All our pennies and treasures fell out on the floor. He snatched up the little boy's gloves by mistake and thrust them into his own pockets. The lady collected everything again and redistributed them. She seemed to think it was funny. Not very funny, but just a little. She looked at Carol sort of specially. Oh, my dear child, she said. I hope you don't mind because Dicky called you a silence. Carol did mind. He minded very much. I could tell by the way he carried his ears. They looked very stately. Our Uncle Peter whirled around in the doorway. His ears looked pretty stately, too. All the men in our family, he said, aim to meet the exigencies of life sensibly. The lady seemed to consider the fact quite a long time before she smiled again. "'Oh, very well,' she said. "'If the uncle really is as sensible as the nephew, "'perhaps he will consent to leave the children here with me tonight, "'instead of bearing them off to the confusion "'and general misbuttonness of hotels.' "'Our Uncle Peter's face fairly burst into relief. "'Oh, do you really mean that?' he cried. "'It is their infernal buttons that makes most of the worry. "'And their prayers?' What is the difference, anyway, between a morning and an evening prayer, and this awful responsibility about cereals? And how in the world do you make sure about their necks? Oh, those are the things I know perfectly, said the lady, all the nice gentle indoor things. Our Uncle Peter began to strut again. Oh, pshaw, he said. It's only the outdoor things that are really important. How to climb mountains, how to stop a runaway horse how to smother a grass fire. It put the lady all in a flutter. Oh, pshaw, said our Uncle Peter, that's nothing. The very first instant you hear the maddened hoofs on the pavement. You place yourself thus, and thus, and... The lady tried to explain to him the difference between a morning and an evening prayer. Now at night, of course, she explained, everything is so very lonely that... Our Uncle Peter didn't seem to care at all how lonely it was. The instant you see the horse's blood-red nostrils, jump, cried our Uncle Peter. It sounded pretty muddled to me. Personally, insisted the lady, I consider a rather soft sponge best for the neck. So that with your hands clutched like a vice on either side of the mouth, cried our Uncle Peter, you can saw up and down with all the violence at your command. Now in fighting a grass fire... It's craft, not might, that you need. In that case, of course. Two hours if you're using a double boiler, explained the lady, but many people consider a rapider action more digestible, I suppose. My dear lady, let me finish my explanation, said our Uncle Peter. But I want to finish mine, said the lady. Our legs got pretty tired waiting for all the explanations to get unmixed up again. It was nine o'clock before the lady gave our Uncle Peter a cup of hot chocolate and turned him outdoors. Just like a dog, said our Uncle Peter. We heard him say it across his shoulder as he went down the steps. It made the lady laugh a little. It was warm milk in two great blue bowls that she gave us. Just like kittens, we thought it was. 
We heard the little boy's feet come thud, thud, thudding up the stairs. We heard Tiger Lily's toenails click, click, click along behind him. The little boy looked very full of chicken and joyfulness. So did Tiger Lily. Cook says I've got to romp him, he said, every day, twice every day, more than a hundred times some days. Outdoors, too, not just in parks. Parks are good enough for cats, but in real fields, else he'll die. Almost as though he was frightened, he stooped down suddenly and laid his little ear on Tiger Lily's soft breast. He's alive now, he boasted. You can hear his heart nibbling. He threw back his little head and laughed and laughed and clapped his hands. He took Tiger Lily by the collar and led him over to the table by the window. He climbed up on the table and pulled Tiger Lily after him. Tiger Lily was frightened, but not too much. He felt proud. His ears looked fluffy. His back was shining silk. His tail hung down across the edge of the table like a plume. Far off in the city streets somewhere there was a noise that trolley cars make when they're climbing up a hill, and the switch is too hard for them. It was a sour sound. Tiger Lily started to make a little quiver in his back. The little boy threw his arm around him. A mouse nibbled in the wall. Tiger Lily cocked his head to listen, but kissed the little boy's cheek instead. It was a nice kiss, but wet. The little boy laughed right out loud. Way down on the very tip end of Tiger Lily's plumy tail, about two hairs wagged. When the little boy saw it, his face went all shining. He threw both arms around Tiger Lily's neck. Tiger Lily's little boy, he said. Something funny happened to his mouth. It was a teeny-weeny yawn that didn't seem to know just what to do about it. Nothing in all the world felt lonely any more except me. The lady put me to bed. Carol put himself to bed, all except the knots in his shoestrings. We went to sleep. Pretty soon it was morning, and we went home. Our Uncle Peter changed a lot of our dog money into nickels, so it would jingle. We sounded like cowbells. It felt rich. Our Uncle Peter held us very tight by the hands all the way. He said he was afraid that we might step into something wet and sink. It had been Wednesday when we went away. It was only Thursday when we got home. It seemed later than that. Our mother was very glad to see us. So was our father. The tame crow flew down out of the maple tree and sat on Carol's head. Our tame coon came out of the hole under the piazza and sniffed at our heels. The posy bed in front of the house was blue with violets. The white spirea bush foamed like a wave against the woodshed window. In spite of our absence, nothing seemed changed. We gave our father a dollar of our money to buy some tulips. We gave our mother a dollar to spend any way she wanted to. We put the rest of it in a book. It was a savings bank book that we put it into. For your old age, our father said. Our father's eyes had twinkles in them. I hope you thanked your Uncle Peter properly, he said. For what, said our Uncle Peter. Our father jingled the twenty nickels in his hand. For all favors, he said. Our Uncle Peter said he was perfectly repaid. He made a frown at my father. When bedtime came, 
I climbed up into my mother's lap and told her all about it. The house, the cocoa, the toy Ferris wheel, the blue daisies on the stair carpet, the pigeon that lit on my window sill in the morning, the splashy way Tiger Lily lapped his milk. It will be interesting, said my mother, to see what we hear from Tiger Lily as time goes on. Time went on pretty quickly. Pansies happened, and yellow poppies, and ducks, and two kittens, and August. It wasn't till almost autumn that we ever heard from Tiger Lily or the little boy again. When the letter came, it was from the little boy, but it was the lady who wrote it. We thought her writing would be all black and sorrowful, but it was violet-colored instead, with all the ends of her letters quirked up with surprise like her face, only prancier. My dear little friends, wrote the lady, Dicky wishes me to tell you how much we enjoyed your delightful visit, and to say that Tiger Lily is a sweet dog. He thinks you are mistaken about Tiger Lily not hunting. Tiger Lily hunts very well, he says, only different. It's mice, he wants me to tell you, that Tiger Lily is very fierce about, and bugs of any sort. All indoor hunting, in fact. Certainly our wood boxes and our fireplaces have been kept absolutely free of mice this entire season, and Cook says that not a June bug has survived. Truly it's very gratifying. Also Dicky wants me to tell you that there's a field. It's got a brook in it where you can sail boats and everything. It's most a mile. This is all for this time, Dicky says. With affectionate regards, I am, etc. Our mother looked up across the top of the letter. It was at my father that she looked. Poor dear lady, she said. I hope she's happier now. It's that Mrs. Harnon, you know. Her marriage was so unfortunate to that dreadful Harnon man. Mm, said my father. We read the letter over and over, waiting for the next one and wondering about Tiger Lily. There wasn't any next one till most Thanksgiving. When it came at last, it was Dickie's letter just the same. But it was written in our Uncle Peter's handwriting this time. It seemed funny, but perhaps the lady's hand was lame, and she advertised for help. Our Uncle Peter reads all the newspapers. The letter was awful short, and there weren't any quirks in it or anything, just ink. This is what it said. Mutts. Tiger Lily's got nine puppies. We're sleeping fine. Dicky. Our mother looked at our father. Our father looked at our mother. They both looked at the letter again. My brother Peter's handwriting just as sure as you're born, said my father. Of course it's Peter's writing, said our mother. Her cheeks were quite pink. Well, of all the unexpected romances, she said. Whose, I said. Tiger Lily, said my father. He seemed to be in an awful hurry to say it. I looked at my mother. Her eyes were shining. Is a... Is a romance a something that you make a story out of, I said? Yes, it is, said my mother. I thought of my gold pencil. Oh, all right, I said. When I get tall enough and more spelly, I'll make a little story about it. You already have, said my mother. End of Section 12 The Little Dog Who Couldn't Sleep Part 2 
Recording by Nan Dodge. End of Fairy Prince and Other Stories by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott.